Okay. Okay. So today we're talking to Wayne Bruckus, author of On the Contributions of Cognitive Sociology to the Sociological Study of Race. So thanks for being with us, Wayne. Thank you, Dina. All right. And we'll just, I'm going to start off just by asking you um, to give us a basic idea about what cognitive sociology is and what it does. Okay. Cognitive sociology looks at uh, the ways people think as parts of social groups and the way that, the, the that they're shaped to think socially. And uh, it's first and cognitive psychology or even cognitive social psychology in the sense that it's not looking at the individual in, in say, like a particular setting so much as it's looking at the broader influences in terms of the communities we belong to, like sort of intersecting identities we have and how those shape our worldview. So it's in between kind of uh, the cognitive individualism of, say, a psychological approach that just looks at us as, as folks who have a personality and also uh, different than sort of a cognitive universalism that looks at us just as, as human social thinkers. Right, right. Um, and so you specifically reference Eviatars Rubavell in your piece. Um, in describing cognitive sociology as something that is neither a universalist perspective nor, um, you know, particular to individuals or idiosyncratic. So could you maybe just say something about why you think that is so important? Uh, well, uh, obviously, as up in cognitive sociology then, and, and what was it that drew you to it? Yeah, I think um, it, it, it actually started in graduate school. Um, Eviatars de Rubavelt taught some cognitive sociology courses. At the time, he had just finished the book, The Fine Line, mm -hmm. which I found pretty interesting. It looks at classification and you know, how we make islands of meaning or categories out of a, a continuous reality. And I just found that a very interesting theoretical perspective and something that I could apply to empirical work that I was doing. Like, I, I'm trained also as an ethnographer, mm -hmm. and ethnographers tend to focus very much on specific data sites. And, and thick description of those data sites and, and yet having this combination of data that I was interested in but then being able to think in very broad theoretical terms about how how we make sense of the world, how we classify identity um, and things like that uh, I found really interesting. Um, yeah, so. Right. Um, and so actually... Um, the first work of yours that I've had was the Peacocks, Chameleons, and Centaurs. Um, and so was that your first real foray into the cognitive perspective? It was part of my first foray where I, um, in that book, I developed uh, three different ways that people, that people tend to, or people or members, 
members of an identity category tend to organize their identity, whether they do it as a noun and, and basically associate in a social network where everyone shares the same uh, master identity or whether they do it more as a verb moving in and out mm -hmm. of different identities or whether they do it as an adjective and, and kind of piece an identity together with a bunch of other identities which which we may see or may not see as directly related. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, so that was that was my first kind of big foray, but within that I, I did a couple articles on marketness and unmarketness where mm -hmm. I looked at the distinction between market categories which we which folks put a lot of social weight on the importance of membership in that category, make assumptions based on that category membership, uh, say, you know, for race, mm -hmm. uh, minorities are, are the marked category typically, and then and then the majority is the unmarked, where it's, where it's um, taken for granted, um, sort of seen as the, well, it's the, it's the default non-category, right. I mean, it, it's kind of the generic, it's treated as generic and unproblematic and not worth focusing on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And kind of see where that leads into, where that kind of uh, framework can, can apply to race. Sure, yeah. Um, and so you mentioned Eviatar Zerubavel, but are, are there any other theorists that you would say um, really contributed to sort of shaping your major perspective or to really sort of pushing you towards the cognitive model? I think she's the, um, is probably the main theorist mm -hmm. uh, that pushed me in that direction. I mean, mm -hmm. there's a number of other people doing right. work in cognitive sociology, but that would probably be my strongest influence. And even uh, also ha have somewhat of a Gottman influence. Uh -huh. with, um, you know, I don't know if Gottman would technically be defined as a, as a cognitive mm -hmm. like this, but I think you can draw from Gottman as well. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, so can you give us sort of an idea then about what sparked your interest in writing this particular article, Bridging Cognitive Soch and Studies of Race? Yeah, um, it, it was... Myself and one of the co-authors, David Brunsma, we often would uh, talk about our research with one another, and, and we come out of very different traditions. I, I mean, I come out much more in sort of the cognitive and cultural tradition. Um, he's very involved in the critical race theory tradition. Mm -hmm. uh, my tradition tends to emphasize sociology of culture uh, fairly broadly. Uh, he, he comes out of a tradition which focuses a lot on inequalities, and so we we would have these interesting conversations and, and we'd see parallels and, and things we do in our work and, and things we're interested in, and yet, and yet we'd be coming at it from very different directions, and, and so uh, we thought, hey, you know, it'd be fun to write an article kind of right. uh, bring these traditions together and really finding the best of, of both traditions and, and combining them. Right. Um, and so then why do you think it's so crucial that we uh, apply cognitive sociology to studies of race? Um, 
and you know you, you say that the the generic quality of cognitive social can be imported to the study of race. So if you could just maybe give us a little bit of an explanation about that. Yeah, I think the, um, what I think cognitive sociology does is it, um, it's a very analytic framework um, so that it allows one to compare across, uh, it, it looks at the formal, so it allows one to compare across different substantive areas, both in terms of uh, substantive topical areas, but also, say, different differential classifications. Mm -hmm. So one can compare uh, how African-American race or blackness is defined mm -hmm. in one system and compare uh, Native Americans in another system and mm -hmm. see the similarities and differences across different classifications. Mm -hmm. uh, also because it's the general, rather than looking at specific things, I think it's a way of, of bringing people in who maybe don't have an interest on, on a particular particular focus or a particular substantive or empirical area, right. but, they, but it can bring them, it can bring across a broader uh, a broader subsection. Right. Uh, one of the things that uh, I, I think often in, in race studies is, is folks will study a particular form of inequality that they have a very strong interest in, and they'll mm -hmm. look at that particular form almost as though it's uh, um, as though it's, it's unique, as though it's the one to study and, and you know do a lot mm -hmm. of big description and, and come up with some really interesting details mm -hmm. about power and inequality and how they operate in that particular uh, racialized system. Mm -hmm. uh, but one of the things that bringing in a cognitive approach allows us to do is compare across those systems. And, and I mean, I think in a way, it's it's a way to look at inequality or look at power issues without maybe as much explicit emphasis on, poly, on, on power, but it, it mm -hmm. kind of brings it in stealthily mm -hmm. look at it. By looking at the classifications from a formal standpoint, mm -hmm. more kind of the million approach, mm -hmm. um, it actually allows us to, you know, to make the lens very analytic and yet, and yet that analytic lens can still allow us to look at things like power and classification in, in a formal sense uh -huh. than, than looking at specific actors who are contributing to, um, contributing to, to inequality. Right, right. Um, and so then I guess given that, and given that this sort of combination of cognitive sociology, but sort of using it to study an established area within sociology already, um, given that that seems to yield such interesting results, I'm wondering if there are other unexplored areas that you think might lend themselves to this kind of investigation as well. Yeah, I think sexuality obviously would be mm -hmm. another area where um, it would be interesting to apply this lens. Mm -hmm. and, and I've done some of that. Um, gender, mm -hmm. um, there, I, I think it really is something that could be applied to different subfields mm -hmm. um, very, very effectively. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it cuts both ways. Those subfields also can help.
cognitive sociology. So right. you can have right now with cognitive sociology and the cognitive turn in sociology, you have a very strong general analytic framework uh -huh. to look at things in a formal sense, which in a, in a fairly, I think, a very interesting framework to look at things. And then what one can do is, is that take that framework down into different substantive areas and really explore those areas in more detail. Mm. And at the same time, uh, these traditions often with their emphasis on power and inequality uh, can help us look maybe at the analytic or formal properties of inequality and, and oppression and things like that, which, uh, which they often focus on specific cases or specific types of inequality mm -hmm. that looking at, but drawing across those specific types, drawing across different settings and looking at similarities and differences could give us a broader uh, perspective on, on inequality in a, in a kind of very formal sense so we mm -hmm. can look at power and inequality mm -hmm. in, in the formal sense, divorced from the particular empirical context that um, grab our interest because they're the, the um, interesting issue of, of the time and, and really see how all these interesting issues are, are interrelated and, and cut across time and cut across culture. Right, right. And so I just wanted to give you a chance if there was anything that you think is particularly important or interesting about the article that um, you would want to communicate to somebody who hasn't yet read the piece, um, if there's anything we haven't touched on yet. I think, I mean, I think the article will interest scholars in, in a few different areas. Like, I think um, scholars of race obviously will find mm -hmm. find it interesting to, to consider other lenses by which they might examine race. Um, and in fact, you know, I think there's maybe implicitly, you know, some of these issues, uh, certainly within whiteness studies, right. really they might have implicitly thought about the marked and the unmarked, mm -hmm. but they don't necessarily uh, express it in those terms, and they don't think of them necessarily as um, generic con concepts that cut across mm -hmm. all kinds of different categories, so they may find uh, that useful, and mm -hmm. also I think um, obviously folks with an interest in cognitive sociology uh, can see ways that they might be able to apply to uh, race specifically, and, and then hopefully even see this as a lens that, uh, while this article looks specifically at how it would apply to the sociological study of race, mm -hmm. I think you could see ways that it might also apply to gender, class, or sexuality, or other right. things that, that some of the same insights would apply there. Right, absolutely. So possibly as a way to uh, expand cognitive sociology uh, to include some people who might not have considered using the perspective before. So I think that's, that's important. Um, and I think it's a way that people um, who have substantive areas of interest um, maybe they don't see themselves as sociological theorists, or mm -hmm. they don't see themselves necessarily as part of this broad sociology of culture, cognitive sociology uh, paradigm that, in fact, um, you can use that theoretical 
Right. Absolutely. Well, so I hope that people will uh, take a look at the article, and thank you so much. Thank you.